Second Samuel chapter nine, please. Second Samuel chapter nine this morning. We have been for a while now in a series of messages on uh, the life of David, looking at it, trying to look at it from a very practical way, lessons from the life of David. I'm not really going in depth into every aspect of his life, but just kind of trying to hit the high points. Now David said, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of the house of Saul, whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? He said, At your service. Then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul, to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan, who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, in Lodibar. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, from Lodibar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Here is your servant. So David said to him, Do not fear. For I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant, that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You, therefore, and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him. And you shall bring in the harvest, that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table, always. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table, like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both his feet. Father God, thank you so much for the word. Lord, this is an amazing passage of scripture that, Father, I already feel completely inadequate to address. And so I pray this morning for the filling of your spirit, and I pray, Father, for help. And I pray, Father, that we could make this clear and plain and practical and understandable. And I pray, O Lord God, that you would be our teacher. So much to see here. So much to understand here. And so teach us. And I pray, Father, if there's even one here today who needs this message in a very special way, that, Lord, nothing would hinder, nothing would distract, and that they would receive that message and respond to it today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to speak to you this morning on the topic, I am Mephibosheth. I know that's not what it says in your bulletin, but sometimes I have to give the title to Sue a little bit too early and I don't have it quite straight in my head. I am Mephibosheth. You know, it's a nice story we just read, isn't it? Beautiful story. If you were to review these verses that we just read strictly as history, it would be a wonderful story. And it is history. There was a David. There was a Mephibosheth. All these things happened exactly as they said here. The Bible is historically accurate in every way. It's a wonderful story just from a historical point. David remembered his covenant with Jonathan and sought out any remaining descendants 
that might still be there, to keep his end of that bargain. You remember the covenant that he had made with Jonathan. And so in verse 1 he said, is there anybody left that I might keep that covenant with? He found out about a man named Mephibosheth who was the lone descendant of Jonathan, the only one left, verse number 3. He sent for Mephibosheth. He restored all his grandfather's land to him, which would have been substantial. All of his wealth. He set a place for him daily at the king's table, verse 5 and verse 7. And from then on, Mephibosheth lived in the king's city and ate at the king's table continuously. Verse 3, it's a nice story. It's a good story. There's so many things we could think about there. The kind king showing mercy to this poor underdog, downtrodden Mephibosheth, rescuing him. It's a nice story. The kind of thing we, we get warm and fuzzy feelings about when we read it. Oh, but it's so much more. There is so much more here than just that. You see, this is an amazing story. And I can't imagine that any, any of us can really read it and give it even a moment's thought without agreeing. This is an amazing story. You see, this is one of those places in the Bible, and there are many, where there is the historical understanding of an event, but there's also a much deeper event or understanding of the event. There is the typical understanding. Or the illustrative understanding. You see what happened here. What took place between David and Mephibosheth is a wonderful picture of what takes place between a sinner and the Savior. Between the lost and the Lord. Between each of us and our wonderful God. Did you see that as we read it? Did you notice any of those things? Did you see any of those parallels jump off the page at you as you heard the story of David and Mephibosheth? Did you see David on the throne demonstrating mercy to Mephibosheth? And did you see that as a picture of God, our Father, in his sovereign grace, extending mercy to you and to me? Did you notice that Mephibosheth, in his lameness and his sorry state, is a picture of you and I in our lost and hopeless condition apart from God? Did you see those things? They're there. I think that we can say with absolute accuracy this morning, I am Mephibosheth. And I think we can say with absolute accuracy, you I'm Mephibosheth. Let's notice for a few minutes this morning some of the parallels. See if, see if we can pull a few out. There's many. We'll just, we'll just take a couple. Think about this, for example. Mephibosheth was the victim of a fall. He was the victim of a fall. You know, we read in verse number 3 that he was lame in his feet. We read in verse number 13 where it clarified that and strengthened that and said he was lame in both of his feet. Well, how did he get that way? The Bible tells us. He was lame in his feet because upon the calamitous end of Saul's reign, his nurse was fleeing for his life with him. He was five years old at the time, and she dropped him, injured him. From then on, he was lame in his feet. Second Samuel 4, 4, Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son who was lame in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was a victim of a fall. I wonder if I were to say to you the name, Mrs. Fletcher, would that mean anything to anybody? Anybody remember the name, Mrs. Fletcher? Yes? Excellent! Now, I would have never expected that generation to have remembered that name. You've been looking at YouTube, clearly. The fact is, Mrs. Fletcher was the star of a very famous commercial. Back in the 1980s, Mrs. Fletcher was a little old lady wandering into her bathroom on her walker when she tumbled 
And she grabbed a little life alert pendant and cried for help. And you heard this voice come from nowhere that said, Mrs. Fletcher, what can we do for you or something like that? And you remember what she said? Who remembers what she said besides Becky? Who remembers what she said? I've fallen and I cannot get up. Now you all remember Mrs. Fletcher, don't you? You see, we laughed at that television commercial. And it was a little bit funny. But it wasn't really funny, was it? And it's even less funny when we think about the truth that we have all fallen. And we cannot get up. The Bible tells me that we're all victims of the fall. All of us. Romans chapter 5 says, Through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. When Adam fell, we all fell. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, In Adam all die. When, because he had sinned, God cast him out of the Garden of Eden and set a flaming sword there and a cherubim holding it so that he could never get back. All of us alike became victims of that fall. We're all now sons of Adam, sinners. We've all fallen and we can't get up. We're lame in both our feet, just as Mephibosheth. One man said man was not originally created in the condition he is now in. Man was far from being lame on both his feet when his maker proclaimed him very good. The faculties of man's soul have become spiritually crippled as the result of the fall. Our fall in Adam. And in consequence of that fall, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Mephibosheth was the victim of a fall. I am Mephibosheth. You are Mephibosheth. Another thing. Mephibosheth had no hope. He had no hope. He was lame in both of his feet. That is a picture of complete helplessness. He lived in a place called Lodibar. Now that might not mean much to you, but think about it for a few minutes. He lived in a place called Lodibar. And I would, I would say to you this morning that that is a picture. That is a description of absolute, complete hopelessness. Do you know where Lodibar was? Anybody know where Lodibar was? Becky, you can't raise your hand for that because I know you'd be lying. Nobody knows where Lodibar was. The exact location is unknown. But it was believed to have been deep in Gileadite territory. It might be what's referred to in Joshua chapter 13 as deeper. We're not sure. What we do believe is that it was far from both the family estate and from David's court. He had fled there. He was hiding there. It was far away. Think about that last part for a little bit. Let it get a glimpse of the hopelessness of his current state. He lived far from the family estate, far from the king, far from the king's court. And oh, how far does the lost soul live from the king? How far removed is he or she from the riches that could be theirs in Christ? He had no hope. He lived far away in Lodibar. Do you know what Lodibar means? Anybody know what Lodibar means? Lodibar means no pasture. No pasture. Let that sink in for just a minute. No pasture. Warren Wearsby said that's a fitting description of this present world. No pasture. No place for the soul to be satisfied. Sinners are hungry and thirsty, but this world and its pleasures cannot satisfy. Arthur Pink said, what a significant line in our picture is this, so obviously drawn by more than a human artist. How aptly does it portray the world in which we live? The world which is away from God, which lieth in the wicked one. It is a world which provides no food for the soul. It is a great howling wilderness so far as spiritual provisions are concerned. 
Yet how little is that fact realized by those who are in it and of it? Lodabar is written across all the varied fields of this world, though the great masses of people realize it not. Do you hear it this morning? Do you hear it? Do you hear what the Word of God is saying? Apart from Christ, you and I have no hope in this life. We dwell far from the King in a place of no pasture. Lodabar. Mephibosheth was without hope. I'm sure there are many other parallels we could make, and there are some others that I had, but I'm going to skip those right now, and I want to move on to something else. But I want you to just stop and think about that for a minute. This man was fallen. This man was without hope. I want you to think about it. Look at him. Get him in your mind. Do you see him? Poor, fallen, lame, hopeless Mephibosheth, living in Lodabar, place of no pasture, far for the king. He is me. He is you. Ah, but then, glory to God, David sought him out. Did you see that? Look at verse number one. David said, is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? David sought him out. David went looking for a descendant of Saul to whom he could show kindness it's interesting, isn't it, that Mephibosheth, in spite of his need, in spite of his lameness, lamelessness, or lameness, what's the word there, lameness, in spite of that, in spite of all of his hopelessness, he didn't seek out help. Did you notice that? He didn't go to David. He didn't run to David and say, look, I, I know I was once your enemy, but I really need help. David's the one who saw him. Some of you might remember that this past uh, old-fashioned Sunday we had a special speaker. Some of you may remember that the great Charles Haddon Spurgeon stood and preached on Old Fashioned Sunday. I, I, I don't know if you remember that or not, but you might even remember the text of his sermon. You probably never remember the text of one of mine, but you might remember Charles Haddon Spurgeon's text. Anybody? I know Jim does if he was here. Do you remember it? No, that, that, that might be, maybe that'll be this time. I don't know. No, it was Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 9. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? Where are you, Adam? Remember that? And you might even remember Spurgeon's words because he said something like this. He said, shouldn't Adam have been the one to have gone looking for God? He ought to have gone through the garden crying for his God. My God, my God, I have sinned against you. Where are you? I confess your justice and beg your mercy for I have done the one thing you commanded me not to do. I have eaten of the fruit you commanded me not to eat. Where are you, God? But instead Adam runs. He flees from God. The sinner does not come to God. God comes to him. It is not, my God, where are you? But the first cry is the voice of grace. Sinner, where are you? It's a wonderful distinction, Spurgeon said. God comes to man. Man seeks not his God. Listen to me, Mephibosheth. Had your king not sought you out, you would have never turned to him. You would have never run to him apart from his seeking you. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. Luke chapter 19 tells me that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save. He does the seeking. Matthew chapter 18, what do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray? Does he not leave the ninety and nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, assuredly I say to you, he rejoices more than over that sheep, more over that sheep than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. And so he seeks. 
The songwriter said, Jesus sought me. What a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. He, to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. How his kindness yet pursues me. Mortal tongue can never tell. Clothed in flesh, his death till death shall loose me. I cannot proclaim it well. I am a Phibosheth, and oh, how I praise my king that he sought me out. You are Mephibosheth. Have you heard his call? Have you answered it? David sought him. David did something else. Look at verse number six. David offered him peace. He offered him peace. Mephibosheth heard the call of the king and came to him, and immediately, according to verse six, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. We probably would have done the same. No doubt it was out of abject fear and terror. You know, it was quite a common thing in those days for a king to want to wipe out all of his predecessor's offspring, make sure there was no rival claim to the throne that might come up and get him later on. And so here comes Mephibosheth. He's been summoned before the king. He's the last remaining descendant of Jonathan. But David's words to him, look what he said. First he called him by name. He said Mephibosheth. And if you're holding the New King James Bible this morning, I think, I like the New King James. That's our main Bible we use here. But you know, I think they got it wrong in this one. They put a question mark there. You see that? Mephibosheth? Question mark? No other English translation that I could find has a question mark there. And I don't think the context indicates a question mark there. He wasn't asking him, is your name Mephibosheth? He was calling him by name. Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. The first words he heard was the loving king speaking his name. And you know what? I think that's what we can expect. I think that's what all of us who know Jesus can expect when we first see him face to face. John chapter 10 and verse 3 says, The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Mephibosheth. One man said a single word was all that David yet uttered. Mephibosheth. Yet how much was expressed by it, how much, how it reminds us of that precious declaration from the lips of the good shepherd, he calls his own sheep by name. When at the burning bush the Lord first revealed himself to Israel's deliverer from Egypt, he said, Moses. The first word of the Savior to the one in the sycamore tree was Zacchaeus. And when he made himself known under the tear-blinded seeker at the sepulcher, he said, Mary. And on the Damascus road. His first word to the persecutor of his church was Saul. Saul. You know, one day very soon you and I were going to be called before the king. We're going to appear before him. And the Bible says at that time, every knee shall bow. And I want you this morning to just ask yourself a question. What will he say to me? What will be the first words he says to me? Will he call me by name, by name as David did Mephibosheth and as, as, uh, as Jesus knows all the names of his sheep? Will he call me by name? Or will we hear from Jesus what he said? Others who don't know him will hear. Depart from me, for I never knew you. What will I hear when I stand before him? The first words Mephibosheth heard was the loving king speaking his name. And then he heard something else. He didn't hear words of, of judgment. He didn't hear words of royal justice. Rather, the opposite, he, he, he heard words of peace. David said, do not fear. Mephibosheth, do not fear. 
Wiersbe said, Fear not were David's words of grace to the trembling, crippled man. And fear not is what Christ says to every believing sinner. That's why the Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus in Romans 8. And it's why the Bible says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ in Romans 5. Just as David offered the peace to trembling, fearful Mephibosheth, so too our God offers peace to the penitent sinner who kneels before him. You see, I am Mephibosheth. You are Mephibosheth. One other. Verse 7, David restored to Mephibosheth his lost inheritance, moved him into the king's city, and fed him at the king's table. Look at verse number 7 again. David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. <clears throat> verse 9, The king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. Verse 13, Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both. His feet. David restored to him his lost inheritance. He moved him into the king's city. He fed him at the king's table. Imagine. He was fed at the table of the king. And that continually, regularly, from this point. No longer did he wander in Lodibar. Now he lived in the city of the king. No longer was he in want in a land of no pasture. Now he ate royal food. At the king's banquet table. No longer was he a shameful thing. Did I mention that's what Mephibosheth means, by the way? That's what his name means. Shameful thing. No longer was he a shameful thing. He now was on an equal footing with every other member of the king's household. And when he slid up to the king's table and slid those lame legs under the king's table, they were hidden from view. Covered. And gone. Do you see it? David sought him. He offered him peace. He restored to him his lost inheritance. He moved him into the king's city and he fed him at the king's table. Is this not an amazing view of what God has done for us? And yet, if you're like me, as we read this story, it kind of begs a question, doesn't it? Doesn't there a question in your mind? There was a question in mine as I read this. Why? Why would David do this? Why would David go to all this trouble? Why would he extend such kindness to Mephibosheth. He didn't even know who he was. He's a complete stranger to him. And yet the answer is in our text. Verse 1, David said, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? That I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. Fascinating word, that word kindness. You probably think you know what it means. And you might be right. Kindness in the English, we kind of have an idea of what that means. But it's a translation here of a Hebrew word, which is a very fascinating word. It's the word, and I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's the word hesed. Hesed. It's used about 250 times in the Old Testament. As I was studying it and I was finding it has all kinds of different meanings, I thought, well, I have a rabbi brother-in-law. I'm going to call him and ask him what hesed means. You know what he said it means? Kindness. That's what he said. He said kindness would probably come the closest. And it is, it is certainly true that every single major translation does render it kindness. But it's a deeper word. It's a fascinating word. Some places, other places, in, even in, uh, in, in, our, in, in our Bible here, it's translated differently. It's translated as loving kindness or unfailing love or unfailing kindness. It's sometimes translated mercy. 
If you have a New King James Bible, you might have a footnote that says it could be rendered covenant faithfulness. In some other sources, I've seen it defined as loyal love. And so there's a lot of depth in the word. The definition I found most helpful said that hesed is, quote, a love or affection that is steadfast based on a prior relationship, end quote. Why did David want to help Mephibosheth? Why? Was it because of something inherently good in the man? Something meritorious, something that grabbed David's attention and made him think, I must help Mephibosheth because he deserves it? Was that it? No. Mephibosheth, whose name means a shameful thing, who couldn't even walk toward the king if he wanted to, was no better than a dead dog. He said it in verse number 8, and the fact is it was true. David didn't seek him because he deserved it. David sought him because of Jonathan. David sought him because of another. David sought him because of their covenant, because of their previous relationship. He wanted to show kindness to Mephibosheth because of and for the sake of another. One man described it like this. He said, the one who here obtained kindness at the hands of the king received favor not because of anything he had done, nor because of any personal worthiness he possessed, but wholly on account of a covenant promise which had been made before he was born. So it is with those toward whom God now acts in free and sovereign grace. It is not because of any personal claims they have upon him, but because of the love he bears toward the mediator that he shows kindness. It's because of another. It's because of Jesus that my Bible says we are justified freely by his grace. It's because of another. It's because of Jesus that the Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast. It's because of another, because of Jesus that we read, when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Through the washing of regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Lord, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Praise God. I am Mephibosheth. You are Mephibosheth. Hesed is a love or affection that is steadfast, steadfast based on a prior relationship. God did not seek us out to save us and restore us because we were good. Because we were deserving. Rather because Jesus is good. Jesus is deserving. We who are trusting Christ do not have peace with God because of our own merit. But solely because of the merits of another the sinless and perfect Savior who died for us. We don't look forward to sitting down at the table of the king because we have somehow been good enough to earn it. Nothing could be further than the truth. It's because of another. It's because of Jesus that we will someday slide our lame legs under that table in the city of the king. We are accepted in the beloved. Only in the beloved. You know, I wonder sometimes how anybody can read the Bible and not be absolutely astonished and amazed. How people can read the Bible and not come away convinced that it is more than a book written by men. How do we explain things like this? How do we explain how a story that took place hundreds of years before the events that it depicts could so perfectly do so? How can we explain that a history like this between two men, David and Mephibosheth, could so perfectly picture the salvation that takes place between me 
to God. The Bible is an astonishing book. I am Mephibosheth. One day my king sought me. He offered me a place at his table. I knelt before him, accepted the gift. And my helplessness and hopelessness have been gone ever since. I'll never be lame again. I'll never live in Lodibar again. I'm accepted because of Jesus. I wonder about you this morning. You are Mephibosheth. Have you heard that call? Have you heard the king seeking you? Have you knelt before him and accepted his offer? Have you called upon the name of the Lord that you might be saved? Have you cried out, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner? Have you prayed, Lord, save me? Have you come to that place where you can admit there is nothing good in you? The only hope is the good that is in Jesus. Your merits won't get you there. You need the merits of another. The merits of Jesus. Have you come to that place where you see that you were lame, helpless, hopeless, in a place of no pasture? If so, run to him today. Crawl to him today if you have to. Hear him call you by name. Hear his fear not. And accept his gift of salvation. Then take a seat. And pull up to the table with the rest of us. Hide your lame legs under that table. And you, like the rest of us, will never be lame again.